say a prayer for your old man. No dead bodies for Dada tonight. Add me on. I got bit. Bit by what? If I told you, you probably wouldn't believe me. They're not living. How was that? They're not dead. To the hell are the bodies? They're gone. They're not stopping. What the hell is going on? Jerry. will spread all over the world. You want the story? I'll spin it for you quick. We got a face full of DC too. But the laws of science are broken. Right now, the soldiers are turning. Don't taunt me, Tramp. Once that happens, they'll tear us apart whether they want to or not. The side effect is terror. I swore to my men that I'd do everything in my power to keep them alive. I never had a choice. Now, the last hope for humanity. I'm gonna go get Jerry! Fine, but we're taking my car. I'm riding with you. Rests in the hands of a few. I have no leg! I made you something. Stand. Hop on. No, the other way. No. The other way. them off. How much ammo we got? Holy shit. If anyone comes to the door, I want you to shoot them. Love his dad. I'm gonna eat your brain. Especially if it's your dad. Rodriguez, Planet Terror, a grindhouse feature. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. The Good Trash Genre Cast. Good Trash Genre Cast. Well, that was excellent and, 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 and unexpected. Thank you, gentlemen. And we're so glad to be here gathered around this table to talk about the movies you will never discuss in the course of a film studies class, or at least they'll never be on the syllabus. I think today's movie might get mentioned, but wouldn't find its way on the syllabus. We're going to be looking at Part of a double feature from Mr. Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. We're going to be looking at Rodriguez's film, Planet Terror, today. And next week we'll be looking at Death Proof by Mr. Quentin Tarantino. But before we talk any more about that, we should do some introductions. Across the table, if you would, sir. Although it sounds like a go-go dancer's name, I am Arthur Gordon. Yeah, it does. To my right, sir, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I'm going to eat your brains and gain your knowledge. And I have the best barbecue in all of Texas. My name is Dustin Sells. I'm Who's going to argue about it? <laughs> <laughs> and I am... had my blood, had my sweat, and my tears. All I needed was my blood. <laughs> this is so great. <laughs> and I am very, very glad to be gathered around this table to be talking about this film with these gentlemen. Before we get any further, we're going to do our quick reviews of the film with the synopsis, and then we're going to do what we do. This is not a review show; it's an analysis show, which means there will be spoilers. However, we will give you a quick heads up of a synopsis and what we think, and then if you wish to pause the podcast, only to return later to hear our spoilerific analysis, you may do so accordingly. But let's begin now with that synopsis from Voice of the Cinema, Arthur Gordon. Or rather, for the next two weeks, the voice of the Grindhouse. The voice of the Grindhouse. Yes, sir. You would, sir. After an experimental bioweapon is released, turning thousands into zombie-like creatures... 
It's up to a ragtag group of survivors to stop the infected and those behind its release. I appreciate it very, very, very much. Let's begin with our quick thumbs up, thumbs down. Does it work and why? We'll be brief here and then we'll move into what we do and do the analysis. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Uh, I think this is a big old bucket of fun, uh, as I'm sure has been referenced on this show before when we talk about good theater and film experiences. This is remains to this day one of my all-time favorite outings to the cinema was this and Planet Terror as they originally re- released the, this and Planet Terror. This is Planet Terror. It is. When this and Death Proof were originally released theatrically here in the U.S., they were put together along with some great fake trailers uh, from Edgar Wright and from Rob Zombie and uh, that one guy that was popular for a minute, Eli Roth. But I remember distinctly, it was uh, at the Harkins, uh, their big theater, which at the time was the biggest in Oklahoma, and uh, the manager came out and was like, hey, thanks for coming out on this opening night, blah, blah, blah. And then people, he was like, you guys excited? Nobody was excited. And I'll never forget this. The manager goes, are you guys kidding me? It's Robert Rodriguez and Quentin fucking Tarantino. <laughs> Get excited. The manager's for us. That's fine. It's fantastic. And that, I feel like, <laughs> sums up everything you need to know about this movie, is it captures that 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 anything-goes spirit that uh, just, you know, full throttle, full speed or nothing. Let's get crazy and let's make a weird, funny movie uh, that's hopefully a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, it's not the best movie ever made. In fact, it's kind of not very good in, in a lot of respects. But I think it's a whole heck of a lot of fun to watch. It's infinitely quotable. Um, and just really well-paced, fun throughout, good action scenes. What more do you want? Excellent. Thank you, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you, sir? I think it has some fun moments. I, I, I enjoy the aesthetic quality to it. The graininess, mm-hmm. the poor filter coloration that somebody else may not agree with. But I, I enjoy that aesthetic quality. Uh, Dalton once said that he doesn't like movies uh, that are being made for the sake of being terrible, i.e. Sharknado. However, here we have a pretty good movie disguised as a bad movie. I, I, I would agree with that. I think it, this isn't for everybody. It definitely looks bad on the surface, and I, I think I just alluded to that. And I still don't think it's a great movie, but yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, skill here mm-hmm. uh, on display. And this, it works for me on several levels. It, it knows exactly what it wants to do, and it has a lot of fun with that identity. So I'm, a, I'm on board. Well, I'm, I'm going to say that I... I get what's going on with the movie. I get what's fun about it. There, I laughed many times out loud. I, well, I, I laughed three times, which is my rule for any movie that's supposed to be funny. If I laugh out loud three times, then it's a success. And uh, so, well, what done. were the three times? I, I can't tell you, Ralph. Oh, you're full of shit. But I, I think part of it was exploding people when when they were shot with 45 caliber bullets. So funny. Which I don't think actually happened. No, as far as I know, it doesn't. I believe another time was a car explosion for oh, one yeah. reason as well. Yeah. yeah. And then I think something yeah. with blood and barbecue sauce. I'm riding with you. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Michael Bean is on fire in this movie. Yeah, he he knows exactly what's happening. Yeah, it's good stuff there. I, I do like the casting choices. That all of that sort of stuff is very solid. However, there are there are moments in the film where it's trying so hard to look like what it is, it really fails to. I would think Rodriguez would been behooved to have looked at a few actual Grindhouse films and how they print because what he ends up doing with the film is going to the Instagram rejected filter factory and trying to put that sort of color scheme onto dark shots, outside shots, and nighttime shots and really, I think, kind of fails to really catch the aesthetic of, of what Grindhouse is about and that I found to be a little bit distracting. Honestly, I think the movie would have been better 
if they had tried to go ahead and set it in the 70s. I, I thought that it was almost a mistake to make it a contemporary period piece. I think it would have been better as a 70s piece when that first uh, go-go dancing bit, which was way too long with Rose McCowan's, starts the film off. That felt like a 70s movie. And then as soon as she left, it sort of lost some of that. But they kept on having all the old 70s period cars and that sort of thing. I, and it was I, this odd mix, and it took me out. I think it's almost one of those films that if you took all the cell phones out and the some you know uh, period references, it really does have that feel of, if you you realize at the end of the movie, I have no idea what decade this takes place yeah. in. Yeah, I, I, except for the modern home. Except for, and, yeah, well, the references to Bin Laden and the, right. tech, the cell phones. Digital yeah. display on the gas thing that Bruce Willis wears. Yeah. You know, and those sort of things. And, and so I, I think somehow that's a little mistaken, and it just took me out of the fun of the film. And of course, the ridiculousness of it is funny and whatnot, but it is quite ridiculous. And perhaps Rodriguez lost a little control at times. I'm thinking about his, his nieces, the twin crazy babysitters. There were moments in there that they should have yeah. made a cut. There's a really interesting special feature on this DVD where he talks about how a bunch of these people are just friends of his. The doctor that's partnered up with um, Dr. Block. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't think of the actor. Josh Brolin? Josh Brolin. Thank you. It's partnered Thanks. with Josh Brolin. It is actually a a doctor friend of Rodriguez's. Yeah, it's his doctor, I believe. Yeah, and the, and the strip club owner mm-hmm. is uh, Rodriguez's real estate agent. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some fun stuff going on yeah. there. Yeah, but I think he re- reigns in those people much better than his, his nieces, I agree. Yeah, and yeah. There, there's a fail there. For sure. But, I mean, other than that, it, it, it's it's fun. It's not great. There are other movies that are more fun for wasting time than this movie, so it's not a movie that I'm going to make a lot of repeat views on, but it's not one of those things that's like, oh, avoid at all costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that It's not, not of that category, but it's not as shiny as it could have been, and I, I see its flaws. I think that's fair. But let's move on. This is not a review show. Absolutely. Done not. with this. Mm. Let's do some analysis. Kick and let's off. talk about what's going on. Sir, what do you say? Mr. Dell Stewart. Well, um, I've got two bits of analysis, and I'll keep them both quick. Here's, You want the story? I'll spin it for you quick. Um, you can't talk about this film without talking about feminism. However, <laughs> what? I want to save that for next week, because I think there's more to be said about feminism in uh, Death Proof than in Planet Terror. However, I do want to touch on something very briefly. And that is the uh, this very patriarchal idea, this idea that women can be owned. And we see this in two different characters, uh, that being Dr. Block, uh, by, played by Josh Brolin, and El Rey, played by Freddie Rodriguez. And I forgot to mention, how great is it that the badass action man hero lead is uh, a Latina? That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. I think that's fantastic. I don't, yeah. I don't know about you guys. That's something we don't get I enough of. And I think that's something Rodriguez, as, as a Mexican-American, goes out of his way to try and to incorporate some, some Mexican uh, flavor into his films. But we're going to start with Dr. Block and what is a blatant sexist attempt to control his wife. Absolutely. His wife is so afraid of him, she's going to leave him. And then she finds out that her fears are very founded when he tries to kill her. Yeah, he's kind of a bad guy. Oh, he's awful. Yeah. Uh, Josh Brolin kind of plays a dick in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a bummer. Uh, because I like Josh Brolin, and seeing yeah. him do this is, is very sad. Um, not to speak anything of his, some of his real-life troubles. Um, but then we see El Rey, which on its surface isn't a problem. He even says at one point, she says, you only looked for the jacket. The jacket belonged to me. You didn't. Right. Which, on the surface, is a very kind of progressive way of looking at things. However, we find out the reason he looked for the jacket is because there was a wedding ring in there, so he could take ownership of Cherry. 
Um, and he does take ownership of Cherry because although Cherry is the badass of this film, is the heroine of this film, she only becomes so through the instructions of a man. And that is a problem because it reduces what should be the best character in this film, uh, uh, on some level at least, reduces her to a fighting fuck toy. Um, which is a shame. Which is a real shame. That's a shout out to Chris Vian. Thanks, buddy. The reason it's a shame is because Rose McGowan is probably the best she has ever been in anything in this film. Mm -hmm. She is so funny. One of my favorite lines, I thought if you saw a deer, you weren't supposed to fucking swerve. <laughs> right. <laughs> and of course, it's not a deer. deer. And she delivers it so well. Like mm -hmm. Her timing in this movie, her delivery is spot on. But hidden in what should be this really empowering, you know, feminist tale is really just sort of benign sexism. Mm -hmm. Where, though be it gentlemanly, and though be it um, somewhat progressively, um, El Rey does take ownership of her in this very benign, patriarchal, patriarchal sort of way, where he says, let me be your daddy, let me show you how to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a problem that undercuts uh, what should be a really powerful message in this film. Secondly, I want to talk about the American treatment of veterans. Um, which, on the surface, you're what, Dalton? What are you talking about? I will elaborate for you. This is made all the more, I think, cogent uh, by the recent uh, release of a uh, U.S. Army uh, Army serviceman. Uh, I don't. I don't remember. Uh, a, a member of the U.S. Army was recently negotiated out of uh, Taliban or Al Qaeda. Al Qaeda clutches. Let's go with Al Qaeda. I'm, you know, I only halfway listen to the news. Um, it turns out that he might have been in dereliction of duty. He might have been trying to go AWOL when he was captured, uh, but he was recently, his re release was negotiated for, uh, and I think that makes us more cogent, because what we see here is that once the job is done, we kind of forget about our veterans. It's quickly forgotten that a really the vast majority uh, of our homeless population in the start in Vietnam uh, are veterans, and more specifically combat veterans, who have post-traumatic stress disorder and do not have the means or the ability to treat um, their disorder, um, which is really a, a problem. We, we send these people to die for us, and when we get back, we say, thanks, pal, and send them on their merry way. Uh, we see this with Bruce Willis and his men, um, who basically played the ultimate price by becoming, you know, gross, grossy gross zombies, um, and they were just kind of uh, given the boot because they found something they weren't supposed to find uh, and did something they weren't supposed to do, uh, and they basically uh, shat on the man and his plans, so they were kicked to the curb. We see this again with El Rey, who is strongly implied is some sort of you know John Rambo esque you know special forces golden god, um, who is treated with such you know really hostility uh, from the sheriff character played by Michael Bean. It is only when he finds out who El Rey is that he is this the supreme kicker of asses, that he says, I'm so glad it's you, El Rey. Go do what you do best, because now we need you. We didn't need you before, so I treated you like garbage. But now that we need you to kill somebody, come out of retirement, please, because I don't want to dies. And I think that is probably the most coherent thing this film has to say, and it's probably entirely by accident. It is a, a kind of shining a microscope on... 
what's really a big problem in, in American society is we've been at war for the last, you know, 15 years almost. Um, and we really don't treat our veterans with much modicum of respect. And I've been guilty of this before, and I won't say how because it's not relevant. Um, but we send people to die for us, and then when they get home, we're just like, okay, welcome back. I mean, and this has been going on since Vietnam because it was an unpopular war. But it, it's something that we see a lot here in Planet Terror, and it's really kind of a bummer. And that's something that really uh, I couldn't shake while watching this. I just kept coming up, and it's something I've never noticed watching this film before. And I just I thought it was really kind of revelatory, and it made me see this film in a new light. I think those observations are spot on, Dalton. Thank you very much for that. What I would want to say about this uh, particular film, and to go ahead and uh, approach this subject before we get into this. Uh, film and then move on into Death Proof is just to talk a little bit about Grindhouse Cinema, what this thing is, because really this movie is not about the content, to my mind, as much as it is about the exhibition mm -hmm. of the film. Uh, what we have in American cinema are adults-only films beginning very early on. Edison's famous The Kiss, which was a uh, scene from a Broadway play, was scandalous because two adults are publicly displaying their affection. Early, Heavens to Megatroid! You know, the very first probably mainstream grindhouse film was probably Todd Browning's Freaks, which came out from MGM, which pretty much ruined both MGM and Todd Browning. He just came off of Dracula, which was fantastic. And uh, this movie used real people that were in circus sideshows who had physical deformities and uh, people with... Uh, Mental retardation, etc. We'll make a one of us a loving cup, a loving cup. We accept a one of us. We accept a one of us. Gooba gobble, gooba gobble. We accept her, we accept her. Gooba gobble, gooba gobble. One of us, one of us. Gooba gobble. They're going to make you one of them. My dear. And now it's one of the most famous and influential horror films of all time. Oh, it's considered to be Browning's masterpiece now. Yeah. And, and what moved on were these sort of traveling roadside little productions that were these people, these barkers would get people to come in and they would, they would, show, these, they would show these birth films. Uh, famously, there's a movie called Mom and Dad, which is a live birth takes place on screen, a la what you might see in Man of a, with a movie camera. It's, it's pretty traumatic stuff, but that would, it would be the only time that uh, people would find out about sort of birds and bees, sorts of conversations, where the babies come from. That's how I learned where everything comes from. And they were put together the as movies. educational films. Uh, Reefer Madness is a kind of famous exploitation <laughs> film that, that's part of this. And it was sort of this educational film about the, the perils of, of marijuana, which apparently leads to murder and worse yet interracial dating so <laughs> more importantly it led to a much it led to a much better grindhouse broadway show and film that was shown on showtime are you familiar with this it was made no. in the late 90s early 2000s yeah it's a, a straight up satirical look at reefer madness that's funny it's stuff. hysterical but what ended up happening was these films sort of concentrated themselves in various places in, in major american cities most most notably 42nd street in new york city this is a very famous scene in the film taxi driver 
where we see Robert De Niro and Sybil Shepherd going in on a date to this film, and, and she is scandalized, right? Because she knows exactly what kind of movie it's going to be because of where it is. Mm-hmm. And that's where these films were shown. They were pornographic films. There were these nudie cuties that would have these nudist films, mm-hmm. which were basically sort of these nature films of people who lived in nudist colonies playing volleyball and <laughs> whatnot. The, the origin of the uh, booby comic. It's something like that, yeah. And they, they become <laughs> these sort of naked comics because the National it, Lampoon. As far as uh, American censorship, it began okay to be be okay to show nudity, but you couldn't actually show the sexual act. They also began to add bits of pornography, or not pornography, excuse me. They began to add, add bits of violence and, and gore to this by the seventies. Of course, there were the black exploitation, the black exploitation films, all the Shaft and, and Push, or, Isaac Hayes films, all of just, them. Oh, Superfly. Superfly. Thank you. Right. I, Pusher Man was all that came to mind. Mm. You kind of see this rise of these movies that are sort of transgressive. Many of the Roger Corman films found their way here. Later, John Waters films uh, would take place. And they, they were they were just sort of edgy, transgressive. They were not rated by the MPAA typically after the 1960 transition. They There were lots of violence. There was crazy subgenres that would form. These Nazi exploitation films which are basically naked girls tied to bedposts being abused in certain ways. This is prior to the sexual act being allowed on film. Well, and Rob Zombie's mock trailer in the Grand Civil feature is Werewolf Women of the SS. Right, so, well, there yeah. you go. Ilsa She-Wolf. Ilsa She-Wolf, yes. Which, which is, is the actual film from. that it's based off of. Yes. So, all of these sort of things are happening. But it was all about this exhibition experience. Now, these theaters... They had the Barkers outside. It's like, oh, you got to see it. It's in here. We got a picture here, right? It's it's awful. But it's Live like, one night only. Yeah. You've never seen anything like this before. And that was sort of the way that they put these uh, movies together. And they were not exactly... It wasn't like going down the MGM Grand downtown where <laughs> back in the day when the theaters were directly connected to the studios. These were total independent cinemas mm-hmm. and the quality showed. They were... Your feet stuck to the floor. The seats barely worked. People were in there sleeping. Uh, there was there was there was not a place that people went to um, for kind of a great cinematic experience. Well, I mean, if you're of really any age, other I mean, even this is we make fun of how old Dustin is on the show, but this predates him. If you're of well, 35 or younger, the best experience, closest experience you have to this is the Dollar Theater, right? Which is essentially what they were All because right. they were showing films that they could license on the cheap. Except for they were not major yes. releases. That's, yes. that's the major that's difference. The, the big difference. They were these independent, shot on the cheap, and they would be these Nazi exploitation, the the, the big bird cage sort of movies of these, these female prisons in the Philippines. Women behind bars. And they often seemed to bathe communally. And that was... Uh, often they needed to bathe, apparently, because you sweat a lot <laughs> in the Philippines, <laughs> I, 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 I expect. But nonetheless, this experience of these films is sort of what this double feature... Grindhouse of Planet Terror and Death Proof is supposed to give you a sense of that is why the stock is so grainy. That's why they have this sort of standard but sort of awful previews of coming attractions. And then now our feature presentation with the same sort of 70s music. The X rating, which is now the NC-17 rating here in the United States. I think it's a certificate 18 in the UK for you UK listeners. It would be similar to that. And what we see is that the movie's put together as though it's been run across the pavement and all the grain is all uh, messed up and whatnot on, on the film. And then there's a reel missing, 
in this particular film, which is in a, it's a great at a key moment because it's during this love scene. It's right? a really good gag. And the, the great thing isn't even just that it, where it cuts out, but also where we come back in. Because the entire second act of this film is gone. And the, yeah, the building's on fire. So we don't yeah. know why. It's so great. El Rey's secret has been revealed, but we don't know what it is. And it, the point is it doesn't even matter. Much like all the other events in the film. And, and then when the when the last bit of the movie's showing, when they're showing the credits, they're showing these sort of sprocket holes and, and flare-outs and what, where sometimes... You know, some projectors you couldn't hold still. But it was great to have a projector that you could actually freeze a frame, but most projectors could not. If you froze a frame at any point, the heat off the light was so, off the uh, exciter bulb was so bright that it would go ahead and melt the celluloid. And so you could never hold a frame still. And so when a, when a projector would jam, it would melt and break the film. This happened often in these grindhouse films. Uh, oftentimes the police would come in and break up narcotic raids, disrupting your movie-going experience. So it was sort of this loud, raucous, fun thing that would happen where people are not, not cineasts, not cinephiles. This is not what was happening in those little cine clubs <laughs> that they had in France that Truffaut and Godard were going to. This is something about people who just like to get out and see something to titillate them, either the violence or the gore or the sexuality or the nudity. And it was, uh, it was sort of just this dirty place, but it was also this sort of hilarious place to be. And what's what's great about this movie is it helps us remember a time that died because of VHS. It died because of the video store. When at some point we began to realize that these movies made on the cheap, it was kind of expensive to distribute them in 16mm prints to all these different theaters. And it was far cheaper to go ahead and just send them the VHSs to the uh, to the video stores, have that little 18 and over area of the video store. And so that's kind of the direction that pornography itself went. But also just those kind of cheap made horror slash slasher slash sort of thriller pieces. Zombie movies. Direct to video releases, yeah. you might say. Well, and I think another important note is this: they transitioned to mainstream. I think a good example of that is our very first episode, Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah. Which was a grindhouse film. Mm-hmm. But it also was in that time where it started to be okay to show that sort of thing in more mainstream cinemas. Well, and it broke loose with Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the mid-70s as well, which was, was made... Mondo Bucks and began to be distributed in some of the major theaters. And this is post the Paramount decision where theaters were divested from the the production companies. Mm-hmm. And so they no longer owned them anyway. So they could get whatever movies they wanted individually, mm-hmm. and they would. And it just occurred to me, you can actually see this even earlier with Easy Rider, which is literally mm-hmm. just a film about sex, drugs, and motorcycles. Uh, in 1969? That's when they began to capitalize on it. Yeah, and that was a huge hit. That yeah. made gigantic dollars. Or Jaws would be another example, they, and which then, is just a big giant monster movie. It's a remake of Creature from the Black Lagoon and then with a big budget. We find, suddenly find ourselves transitioned from the grindhouse to the blockbuster. Right. Very quickly, almost overnight, in fact, within the span of about six years. <clears throat> so between that factor and the rise of VHS and home viewing, we don't really have that experience any longer. Grindhouse films do exist, I think, still. But the grindhouse experience does not exist. We have Sharknado. We have not even Sharknado though. You, there, there's, there's tons of movies that are just straight to video releases. They're made cheap. They're, they're, they're creative ideas. Sometimes they're well written. Sometimes they're not so well written. But they're these little small independent movies where they say, "Hey, I have an idea. We can make us a movie. We can shoot it on the weekends, and we can get it out there." And those sorts of films are really where our grindhouse cinema experience is now except for it's now available streaming on Hulu and on Netflix and so that's that's kind of where this movie plays into that moment that we no longer have and so it's really a nostalgia piece 
more than anything. And I, I find that valuable. That's part of why it's so postmodern and, and whatnot. So anyway, that's the analysis I would bring to this film. We'll switch a little historical context. Well, let's just give our verdict now, gentlemen. You must choose. But choose wisely. For as the true grail will bring you life, the false grail will take it from you. What we say, shelf or trash, Elsewhere instead. I ask you, Arthur Gordon, what do you say? That's ah, a tough one. I'd say, I think you're maybe really big into zombie films or really big cinephile and you kind of know what this movie's trying to do, where it's coming from. Borrow it. I don't know that I'd rush out and put it on the shelf. However, that may be the only way you can get a hold of it nowadays because apparently rental stores don't believe in it and that's why it's on my shelf. However, I'm not opposed to it being on that shelf. Um, regardless, I think you would watch this with First choice would be from Dust Till Dawn. Okay, Ramblers, let's get rambling. Mm -hmm. Rodriguez and horror comedy mixing again. Probably to much better acclaim and a lot of fun. Um, <clears throat> the other two are a little out of left field, uh, but they are both due to the fact that this is a movie and a project worked out of a love for Grindhouse and that homage factor, uh, what they're working with. So the first one I would say as an homage to a, a stylistic choice and a, a time period of film, I'd say The Artist. Mm, okay. uh, as an yeah. homage to the silent cinema. I got you. The second one I would say is Drive, as an homage to the Drive films in the 70s. And those chase scenes and Bullet and all that good stuff with Steve McQueen. So that's what, I, that's what I'd pair with this one. I like those picks. Thank you very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you, sir? I would say that you should shelf it, and it was already on my shelf. In fact, this has been on my shelf since October of 2007, when it was first released on DVD. Uh, it was my birthday present, in fact. It's such a good film. Uh, and maybe I am just trying to recapture that the magic of that night, uh, which really was truly just just fantastic. It's one of the last films I think I snuck into because I couldn't buy an R-rated ticket. Yeah. Um, I, I really do, I think, because it was you know, about four months before I turned 17, six months before I turned 17. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was the end of... That was a, it's a bygone era now. I don't have to do that anymore. But I did back then, and I had to do it a lot because I liked film a lot, and a lot of good films are rated R. Um, and, you know, it was a huge crowd, probably the biggest crowd this movie ever saw because it didn't make any money. Um, and, yeah, maybe I'm just trying to recapture that glory, but I say shelf it because it's a whole hell of a lot of fun, especially if you need something to put on when you're, you know, having a get-together. Um, Elser, instead, I would also recommend uh, From Dust Till Dawn, and that is a much better film. Uh, Arthur is right, and you definitely see the seeds for this film in that film. I would also recommend two other ta uh, Tarantino, that's silly, Rodriguez films uh, that you should pair with. Uh, that you see the genesis of this, and that's Desperado, and you see the genesis of really... Uh, God, he did it again. You see Rodriguez really on top of his game in terms of shooting an action scene. And I think, say what you will about Planet Terror, I think the action scenes, although most of them are comedically staged, are mm -hmm. really well shot in this film, and in Desperado, that's no exception. I mean, they're really cool. Uh, and I would also recommend The Faculty, which is the film where he decided he wanted to make a zombie film. Mm -hmm. uh, and he waited until after the zombie boom with the Dawn of the Dead remake to do it, which yeah. was a mistake on his part. Um, but yeah, that's what I would recommend you pair with those. And also, Death Proof, obviously. You would be stupid not to. And we're going to next week, so stay tuned. Dustin Sells, I think we already know what your answer is. Shelf or trash, Elser instead. I'd have to say trash. I think this one's a disposable one of the pair. I, mm -hmm. I really feel like they're filling the slot. It, it, it does the sort of thing Grindhouse movies do, 
where they're just trying to take up screen time. And it is not a waste of time to see necessarily, but it's certainly, I don't think, worthy of your shelf. If you're interested in Grindhouse sort of cinema, exploitation cinema, then I would recommend two other horror pieces. I uh, already mentioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that you should just go ahead and take a look at that because that's one of those that went wide and went mainstream. Mm -hmm. Also, Last House on the Left, Wes Craven's breakout piece about the Vietnam War through the murder of a girl, which is actually a remake of Ingmar Bergen, Bergman's The Virgin Spring. I think you should actually check that third movie out and realize there are these sort of artistic roots going on in the exploitation. And that touches on a very specific genre of film that is really only exists in Grindhouse Cinema, and that's the Rape Revenge film. I Spit uh, on Your Grave. Spit on Your Grave was exactly right. what I was about to say. Which, fun fact, I learned apparently Maleficent is the Disney version of I Spit on Your Grave. So go see Maleficent in theaters now. Huh, wow. Well, I have nothing to say to that. But before the sun sets on her 16th birthday, she shall prick her finger on the spindle of a spinning wheel and die. Oh, no. <laughs> that is that's disturbing. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> it makes me want to see it. <laughs> yeah, it does kind of make me a little more interested as well. So take a look at that, dear listener, and let us know what you think. We're going to move on now, um, and we're going to talk about how you can talk to us about the things that we talk about, how you can give us feedback and responses via the various miracles that are social media. Arthur, do you know anything about that? Uh, yeah, you can, uh, first for us, you can email us, uh, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast, one word. We do have one bit of feedback coming in from the Facebook. Uh, Keegan Parrish chimes in on our, uh, our series reboots that we did, I believe, with what movie did we do that with? It's been a while. Um, series reboots. That was oh my god! It was just two Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Okay. thank you, Jurassic World. Uh, he chimes in the series reboots that we talked about when we did Jurassic Park, talking about Jurassic World updating after about fifteen years. Mm -hmm. um, he says Highlander would be a cool reboot. Yeah, yeah, it would. Uh, Immortals sword fighting throughout time is such a fun concept that's kind of surprising. It hasn't been tapped for a big budget remake. That is kind of surprising. Uh, everything else in the eighties has been rehashed. Well, and. and Unlike most 80s movies, which you don't need to touch because they're perfectly fine on their own, Highlander's a big steaming pile of crap that's only remembered because it's super cool. Yeah. So I would like to see a super awesome remake of that. <laughs> Dustin? That was just contradictory what you said. <laughs> that was all. No. A cool steaming pile of crap. Uh, I see. Okay. I yeah. understand now. I don't question it. Don't okay. question it. I'm just going. I'm going with it. Go. But that's all we've got from the Facebook. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Is there another means of social media by which one might have a conversation, Dalton Stewart? Try not to tweet yourselves. Don't tweet each other. But especially, don't tweet at me. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. <laughs> yes, indeed. Do we have any feedback coming in from the Twitsy Twitter? We have a bit, not a whole lot this week. A, a little, little on the not-so-jumping uh, side. We do have a myriad of tweets uh, and retweets and favorites, which... Uh, again, we always appreciate that, guys. Please keep that up. It helps get get the show out there. Uh, but we also we enjoy your feedback more than that, I, I honestly say. Uh, Brad Lepperson uh, <laughs> is a source of most of our feedback this week. He said, Booger's burp on Revenge of the Nerds is a human belch, human burp, sorry, dubbed over the sound of a camel orgasm. <laughs> By the way, camel and burp are both hashtagged. <laughs> and he closes that tweet out with hashtag Matt props, hashtag pun. <laughs> that is awful. <laughs> uh, 
Brigham Cole let us know, in reference to his being fired up on Jurassic Park episode, uh, that the one, the only, Mick Foley is going to be at the Oklahoma Contemporary Arts Center. I did see that. So I would be there if I wasn't going to be out of town. That's pretty cool. Um, and we also got a favorite on that tweet from the Oklahoma Contemporary Arts Center. So, <laughs> so thank you, Oklahoma Contemporary Arts Center. Two more pieces of feedback from Brad Lepperson. Uh, I hope your condition is stable, Brad. He said, Starship Troopers, Candyman, Blade, and Hellraiser reboots? Hell yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, then said, The commentary on Spielberg's daddy issues makes his War of the Worlds remake much more interesting in retrospect. You're a daddy issue. That's all the Twitter feedback we have this week. Well, guys, thanks for all that feedback. <laughs> Keep that conversation going, dear listener. Of course, you can tumble with us there at goodtrashhonorcast.tumblr.com and see pictures and sometimes articles and sometimes just jokes about things that we're talking about here on the show. Let's move on and look at our watches because I believe now it's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> this week's game is about zombies, and we're just going to talk about zombie origins, because this is an interesting origin story of zombies, but some sort of military weapon gone awry, and we want to talk about our favorite zombie, or least favorite, zombie origins. I ask you, Dalton Stewart, what say you? Well, I'm going to start with the cream of the crop, which I think is the very, very best, most awesomest zombie origin, and that is the unknown zombie origin, uh, prominently seen in George Romero's Of the Dead films, uh, specifically Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and all others, Sands, his original Night of the Living Dead, which features a pretty terrible one. Which is probably a candidate for the worst. <clears throat> Moving on, I think another really awesome one, if you do want it explained to you, is Pontypool, which we discussed last October, or this most recent October, in our horror film marathon. I love the Pontypool zombie origin. I think it's one of the coolest things I've ever mm -hmm. seen in my entire life. Contaminated yeah. language. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. A good one from a not-so-great movie, but an awesome book, is War of the or World War Z, which really is just, it's a super bad, awesome, terrible virus. Uh, hide and be afraid. And it basically it basically just takes the zombies from the Romero film, or at least the novel does anyway, and says this is all explained by a terrible virus that's been hiding on our planet for, you know, thousands and thousands of years and just now is hit critical mass. And I think that's really something quite interesting. Finally, I would say I'm gonna say the reanimator films, you know, that's not terribly interesting. There's the, the mad scientist aspect is cool. But, uh, you know, zombie, I'll, yeah, I don't know. That's a different brand of zombie, though, I'd say. That's closer to your voodoo zombies and your Frankenstein. So I don't know if that entirely counts, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm all about the unknown for zombies, because I think you're focusing on the mm -hmm. wrong thing when you focus on the cause of the plague. Fair enough. Thank you for that, Mr. Bell Stewart. What do you say, Arthur? Your least and most favorite zombie viri. Uh, best, I'm going to echo Pontypool, because I think it's just one of the most creative things, mm -hmm. uh, that origin. I think it's just brilliant uh, from a storytelling standpoint. So I'm going to say that. Uh, and more Echo, I'm going to specifically say Shaun of the Dead, which does kind of the unknown origin that Dalton was mentioning, but they give you a lot of clues that we all become zombies due to our the self, kind of self-centered type of life that we all take Consumer on. Consumer culture yeah. stuff, yeah. And so I think that's fun. <clears throat> Alright, you might clear this up for me. I say Lee's favorite, I put World War Z and 28 Days Later, because they're packaged, because it's a virus thing, I think. With them. Yeah. And I don't I don't know how I feel, especially as a monkey outbreak, and I may have worked in the uh, 80s. I don't know. Yeah. I think... 
Does it come across better in the novel than it does in the movie? Oh, absolutely. That's the question. Particularly okay. in the zombie survival guide. It's okay. just like, breaks you down. This is what this virus is. Yeah. This is what it does. And it's actually really interesting. I think it gets lost with Zom- uh, World War Z, the film, because they kind of obscure. We never really get that clear, kind of yeah. definite. Well, and they do the stupid thing that I think McGuffin. is the stupidest thing in the days later, the 20th later film, is that um, the transition happens super hella fast. Uh, which causes you to lose the best thing of any zombie film, and that is when a major character gets bitten and they have to decide what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, cliche, though it may be, it's so awesome and adds so much tension. Now, I'm going to have to disagree. I really like the 28 Days Later. That was going to be one of my favorites because I think it's the only way you can have a fast zombie Well, is no. if it's this sort of crazy rab- rab- rabies virus. And that's where I think that's what I think redeems it, is that it is, it's basically super rabies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're still alive, which yeah. adds a whole other level Dimension. to sadness. You know, when we see yeah, a character yeah. in a zombie film that says, we can cure them when, you know, their jaw's hanging off. It's like, we know they're can dead. Can we? But with 28 Days Later, maybe we could. They're all alive. They're yeah. all alive, so conceivably, we could cure zombie them. them. Yeah. And, whoa, that to me makes it interesting. In the film World War Z, it skips that and is just like, you're dead, now you're alive again. Yeah. Go kill. And I think that's dumb, and yeah, it... Again, being alive is the only thing that makes a running zombie feasible, I think. I agree. One more honorable mention I'm going to throw out is Fido, a little indie comedy from 2006 or so, which does the uh, does the radiation thing, mm. but it sets us in this alternate 1950s dimension, and it has a lot of fun with it, and I think it kind of saves it from what may go wrong with Romero's version of the mm. origin story. For so. sure. Well, I was going to go ahead and say 28 Days Later because I do like it for the only way that makes them fast. Uh, then I would say the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead is one of my least favorite because they are dead zombies who run. That's stupid. That is a really underrated film, though. It, I mean, it's scary. I mean, it definitely gets my pulse pounding. I think it's a good character piece. I think it loses... No, Dawn of the Dead remake. Oh, yeah. It mm-hmm. loses yeah. all of the cultural subtext that the original has, but makes up for it with, I think, a, a really good character piece. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's a good one, but it's more. A solid character piece. Okay, that's fair. I think it's enjoyable. Um, I, I, I think it's underrated. I also like the Johnny Cash opening. Mm, I love that. So cool. It scares me, so that's effective. So I, I want to say that, but I want to say, as far as the zombies, dumb. I would also say the Night of Living Dead zombies, because of space radiation, dumb. also dumb. Bella Lugosi's white zombie, I control you, voodoo zombies, always, always, always dumb. Serpent and kind of rainbow. racist. Never watch it. Just don't watch it. What's that? Serpent the Rainbow. Never watch it. Okay. Just don't. It's okay. a dumb kind of zombie. Good to no know. No fun, and we're out for that. My my favorite, of course, is uh, the viruses of various sorts. I do love Pontypool's infected language. I do love the rabies virus of um, of Twenty Eight Days Later. And finally, I really really enjoy the sort of uh, hybridization of the vampire zombies of I Am Legend that we tried to work out a cure for cancer and it backfired on us and jacked up all of humanity. Now, I'm not sure I like I Am Legend so much as a film with Will Smith, but the idea that this is what caused the zombie virus is we thought we had a vaccine and we were very confident and cocky in our abilities and little did we know it mutated in ways that we didn't understand. I do find that to be really fascinating and interesting. What are your thoughts on the unknown zombie? Since you're the only one that didn't touch on it. I like him. Yeah, I mean, I I would agree. I I like that fine. Not your... your Favorite though? No, I don't have an opinion one way or the other. Then it's, obviously there's going to be other things going on with the movie. It's exactly. going to have to be a stronger character today. It's going to have to be about some other set of concepts 
mm-hmm. militarism and fear and consumerism or yeah. whatever it happens to be. And so that, that, that causes a need for the film to find other ways to carry that heft. What the origin stories for zombies oftentimes do is provide sort of an avenue through which they can make their cultural commentary based on those results. And that's usually to their benefit. Which is, I think, something that Danny Boyle does to great effect in 20 Days Later. Yeah, again, weaponization and experimentation on animals. Well, and also just a general seething rage underneath metropolitan culture. Mm -hmm. I think that's something to be said for There's something there as well. Thank you for that, gentlemen. That was a good game. I enjoyed that very much. But let's do what we always do and wrap up the show. And let's talk about what's got us fired up this week in popular culture. How about a little fire, Scarecrow? (laughs) Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up? I was slightly simmering this week, I guess. Nothing major. Nothing off the kilt. Uh, The first thing, uh, speaking of the Mr. Josh Brolin, we have a Thanos uh, for the, I guess, Guardians of the Galaxy is where we'll see him first and then on into the Avengers. So, that could be interesting. He's, he's got the chin for it. He's got the chin, but I don't know. I think he's happens. got the gravitas, yeah. You think? Yeah, I like him. Okay. That's a good... I, I like Brolin. I'm not opposed to it. could have done worse. I'm not going to judge him. No. I'm not that guy. I'm not that internet fan. No, for sure. I'm not going to judge him. Or wait. Affleck. He was the bomb at Phantom, Joe. <laughs> um, in my continuing Ant-Man saga uh, that we get every week, it looks like we had three directors in the running after Mr. Wright left. Uh, Adam McKay of Anchorman, uh, Ross and Marshall Thurber of We Are the Millers, and Ruben Fleischer of Zombieland are in the running. It looks like Adam McKay has dropped out. Fleischer's definitely the best pick. Yeah. Well, I would vote Fleischer. I like Zombieland, but I wasn't a big fan of Gangster Squad. Others. Yeah. I never saw Gangster Squad, but the uh, 30 Minutes or Less. Uh, yeah, I never saw that one. Wasn't a fan. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, maybe Zombie, that'll be a return to that zombie Magic. form. Yeah. Hopefully, Marvel will. Guide it, but yeah. you obviously see the tone that they're going for. Mm-hmm. They are so, still trying to maintain that comedic feel yeah. that they would have gotten with right. So I think it could be a lot of fun. The other thing is, I saw a million ways to die in the West this past week. Thoughts? Eh. Maybe seems to be eh. seems to be the general consensus. Yeah, wasn't a fan. Um, it was it was a, like a poor episode of Family Guy. There were some fun jokes that were the random things that you weren't expecting, and then all the obvious stuff was just terrible. Not nearly as strong as Ted. Yeah. I actually see Ted. That's good. I like Ted. I wanted to see it. And I think critically it was a lot stronger film too, I believe. Oh yeah. And so yeah, I'm not eh, skip it. Definitely skip it. Good enough. So there's some fun cameos though. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I appreciate that fired up stuff. Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up? Uh, not really. Uh, the third season of Sherlock was added to Netflix, so finally get to do that. Been meaning to do that for a while because I don't watch PBS. We watched the first episode of season three. Did you? Yeah, when it was because it aired on PBS. Yeah, publicly funded medias for socialists. But we didn't really get good reception, and we just kind of forgot to watch the others. I'm kidding. Obviously, I think publicly funded media, PBS. Damn with public funding. Yeah. Actually, they're not publicly funded anymore, as far as I know, so there you go. Um, but I'm super excited about that, so woo! And also, I don't have BBC America. I don't have cable. I, I look forward to things I wish I had BBC Netflix. America. There's some good shows on BBC yeah, America. Joke. Um, the new AMC show, which is posed, primed, yeah. squatted, I don't know. It, they're setting it up to try and take the place of Mad Men, um, because it's about to go by bice, uh, which is sad. Um, halt and Catch Fire, starring my favorite Oklahoman, Lee Pace, premiered uh, on Sunday. I haven't got to watch it yet, but I really look forward to it. It is uh, set in a, a fictional 1980s uh, lower-end computer company, and 
basically they, they do some sort of, I don't I don't really know what it's about. I know it's about the eighties and it's about computers and Lee Pace is in it and the, the trailer is really cool. So Oh the Commodore sixty four. I I don't know if the Holden Catch Fire is like a theoretical virus that literally causes a computer to just die. Mm. Just like explode. <laughs> so I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I hope so, because that would be cool. Um, so we'll see. The last thing that's got me fired up is that June twenty first at eight PM at the Paramount Theater in downtown Oklahoma City, you can catch friend of the show and sometimes guest host, and also, more importantly, filmmaker, Nick Sanford, uh, premiering his new film, Elusive, which is a mockumentary about two men, uh, a cryptozoologist, and a documentary filmmaker hunting for the Bigfoots. Um, you can go to the facebook.com slash broadcast pictures, broadcast pictures uh, on Facebook to find out more about the film. Uh, and see a, a promo featuring a maybe very familiar looking uh, talent agent. Or at least sounding. Sounding? I don't know. No, that's right, you don't know what I look like. <laughs> Spoiler, I, okay, I'm going to spoil the gag, the opening gag for you. I'm in a promo for this film. I had a lot of fun doing it, and but that's not why you should go see it. You should go see it because it's hilarious. I've seen the film already. Uh, it's free, once again, Saturday, 8 o'clock. Saturday, June 21st, 8 o'clock, Paramount Theater, downtown Oklahoma City. Four freezies. That's it. No strings attached. It's totally free. So you should go check it out, because uh, it's a really funny movie, and you'd be supporting this show and a good friend of this show. So, do that. I'm fired up this week as well, gentlemen. I am fired up about Guillermo del Toro's produced animated feature coming out this fall around Halloween time called Book of Life. It's a Dia de los Muertos kind of thing, so it's very, very Latino. There's a great trailer already now available on the interwebs for your viewing pleasures. Also on my Tumblr if you want to look there for it. And it's a movie where Camilla Rose Garcia, who recently illustrated a uh, Snow White book, and Sylvia G, who is famous for her death's head woman, deathly Latino-influenced art. If you Google either one of those two artists, you realize they both had a baby with Guillermo del Toro and made this movie. And it's going to be lots of fun and fantastic. It looks kind of funny, sweet, sort of scary. Uh, kids movie for Latin Americans and I think that's kind of exciting and every American really and so you should watch it is it in Espanol? it's an English film so yeah no it's totally English it's just very influenced by Latin Americans absolutely it it definitely takes place in some sort of uh, Clint Eastwood-esque border town so that looks really cool yeah it's going to be kind of a fun fantasy film I'm 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 fired up about that now. Yeah, I want to. I want to catch it really, really badly. Hey, speaking of Del Toro, uh, the, that show's about to premiere. The soon. Strain is coming out very soon, and I'm very excited about that. Also, his Crimson Peak film. He's in the process of filming it right now. It's going to be trying, starring Jessica Chastain and Tom Hiddleston. He may be trying them. I don't know what the movie's about. Yeah, you know, it could happen. You know, With a name like Crimson Peak, it's a good chance. There's no telling. Maybe it's a reboot of Volcano. I hope. Not. <laughs> but uh, that's also something about which I'm fired up. I'm very fired up about sort of a bad thing now. Now, let me talk about the internet, and I want to talk about free use of things on the internet. Now, I, we all realize that th- when I've posted often, uh, the London School of Economics has, has released that piracy of films and music 
are actually good for the film and music industries. People who occasionally download a film or an album are more likely to purchase other films and albums and all that money's made back. And We've all gone to some sort of website that also happens to sell Russian brides to try to catch a basketball game. Those sort of down... I'm not really talking about that level of piracy, but I am really irritated when people take things that are already free on the internets and then they try to monetize them. Last week, Philip Harvey mentioned a show that's near and dear to my heart and to many other of our co-hosts, Welcome to Night Vale. Somebody had been taking the episodes of Welcome to Night Vale and putting them on YouTube with just a logo to be listened to and selling ad space on their YouTube page for the free podcast that's advertisement-free, that's totally made for no cost whatsoever. The only time they make any money at all is when they do their live shows and they occasionally sell... They sell merch, yeah. Merch, and, uh, well, and, and those live episodes, they usually make a recording of that as well for like a dollar, and you can buy one of those episodes. And what I want to say is I, I like the internet as this great place of free exchange, but don't be a jerk. Don't be stupid. Net neutrality, bro. You're it's gonna, important. And you're going to wreck it for all of us. I mean, that's what's going to come down to it, is people are going to have to do those things to protect their stuff so we won't have as much free access to the fun stuff that we want to see. And so don't be stupid. And that, that's really all I want to say, dear listener. I'm a little fired up about stupid people trying to, trying to vulture scab their way through that which is on this amazingly available thing called the internet. So that's all I have to say about Fired Up. I couldn't agree with you more. The internet is free and should always be free. Totally agreed. And vote accordingly, dear listener. Moving right along. Uh, Let's sign off, I suppose. We already know what we're doing next time. You're going to be watching Death Proof. Um, We want to keep the conversation going via social media. We are also all individually available on Twitter. Where are you at, Arthur? Uh, you can find me at RND TBL Review, as in Round Table Review. Where are you, Dalton? I am located on Twitter at Dal underscore Stew. And uh, I am located, Dustin Sells, Dustin underscore Sells, S E double L S, and would love to keep the conversation going with you. And likewise, you can find all of us uh, individually on the greatest site to ever exist, letterbox.com. That's letter B O X D. Uh, it's like Facebook, but for movies. I kind of updated some of that today, so I'm a little caught up on the movies that I haven't watched. Oh, jeez. I'm, I'm like two movies behind. I yeah, I'm three or four behind, I think. I gotta catch up. I, I, there's, some, there's quite a few that and I've updating. Lost, but I, probably I, all I'm as caught up as I'm going to be. So, there you go. You can see what we're watching and what we're thinking about with the things that we're watching. Sometimes giving comment to that. Give us comments about all of that in all of those places because we would love to keep talking about the movies because it turns out the conversation is better than the movies. The movies are great. They're a lot of fun, but they're about what life means. They're about what the world means. They're about what's going on inside of ourselves and outside of ourselves. And that can only be happening through conversation, which is why we do what we do. And we hope that you would do what we do right alongside us until we see you again next time.
aside, if you're curious what Dalton looks like, just Google Adam K. Adam Scott. Adam Scott. Thanks, man. That or H.R. Geiger. Art. <laughs> art? Not even H.R. Geiger. It's H.R. Geiger art. I'm just... I, I'm Dalton very, looks a lot like a Xenomorph. I'm very... I'm very... I'm very phallic. Looks a lot like a... <laughs> 